Yes, 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 people. How is it going? It's episode 10 of Echo Chamber. This is 2019, the first episode hitting you hard with some great flavor this week. Now, we've just got one film review. But it's going to be a good one. We've also got an interview with director Richard Squires. So, let us get things started. Here is the top 10 for the UK the weekend of the 28th to the 30th of December. At number 10, we have Creed 2. At number 9, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grimwald. At number 8, Bohemian Rhapsody. At number seven, The Grinch. At number six, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. At number five, Ralph Breaks the Internet. At number four, Holmes and Watson. At number three, Aquaman. At number two, Bumblebee. And at number one for another week, Mary Poppins Returns. If you want to find out about Creed 2, Spider-Man and Aquaman, check out episode 9 of the podcast. And as I said, look, we've just got one film review this week. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a good one, man. Uh, and this, it all stems from the London Film Festival um, from 2018. So... I had the pleasure of talking to a lot of different directors and people, one of which was Richard Squires. Um, I hadn't had the chance to see his film because it clashed with a lot of other things. So I got a screener, I watched it, but there was a lot of other things happening and I wanted to make sure that, you know, it it got its proper recognition. So... um, that's why I'm bringing it to you today. So, just, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy. We're going to bring you a statement about the um, the making of the film, which I think will give you a good insight into, um, you know, what's being covered and everything like that. And then we're going to get into the rest of it. All right, enjoy. Growing up in the UK in the 1970s, Hanna-Barbera cartoons were my Saturday morning essential viewing. The characters I prized most were the villains, sneaky men with exaggerated features who tiptoed across the screen, masterminding evil plans that sought to profit from or avenge the regular characters. The crazy laughter of these scoundrels was a palpable expression of their wickedness, a signifier of their mental degradation, and at times their laughter reverberated with a sexual ambiguity that only made them more fascinating to me. Consider Cesar Romero, who imbued the Joker in the 1960s Batman TV series with a persistent demonic cackle that resonated with camp sensibility 
or Richard Helpman, who portrayed the child catcher in the 1968 musical Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with his maniacal laugh and dainty jig. I became aware of the actor Paul Lind through his occasional appearances on exported American sitcoms such as Bewitch or The Munsters. Lind had originally gained notoriety in musicals and as a character actor in US television shows. He wanted to be a leading man and complained of being continually typecast in supporting roles as the snarky persona he had created. By the late 1960s, he was a TV regular on the game show Hollywood Squares, but as his career faltered, his alcoholic escapades led to a string of public arrests. A frequently underappreciated aspect of Lin's work was his voicing of a series of cartoon villains for the Hanna-Barbera studios in the late 60s. He animated the Hooded Claw, Midju Wolf and Claude Pertwee with astounding facility and the charisma exploiting his existing TV persona and using his persona to insinuate affiliation to some hidden world whose depravity normal folks could only imagine. The studio's wily casting of Lind exposes the blurred line between actor and character identities and points to the estranged histories of representation of sexual ambiguity and criminality. Exploring this obscure history of Lynn's castings as the cartoon villains, Doozy consults a panel of specialists on animation, voice, masculinity and criminality, visits Lynn's hometown of Mount Vernon, Ohio, where the actor is fondly remembered by locals and employs his own cartoon villain by the name of Clovis. So now I'm going to bring you my review and then we're going to have an interview with the director Richard Sturgis. Squires. Richard Squires. Ugh. Apologies. Here we go. So after sitting down with Richard Squire, I um I was finally able to see his film Doozy. Now this um premiered at the BFI London Film Festival in twenty eighteen. It was part of the Experi Experimentia program. Uh, so the film was directed and um, written by Richard Squire. It was co-produced by Madeleine Melanie and associate producer was Abigail Anderson. And the animation in the film is from 
Elroy Simmons. Um, like the the basic the film is uh, the debut feature from UK artist filmmaker Richard Squires. Doozy is a creative documentary that employs Clovis, an animated anti-hero, as a means to explore the particular voice casting of cartoon villains in the late 1960s through the lens of one of Hollywood's hidden queer histories. Doozy contemplates the psychosocial relationship between villainy and hysterical male laughter, the use of voice as a signifier of otherness and the frequently uneasy symbiosis of character and actor. So this um, documentary was about the actor Paul Lind. Um, and Paul Lind, uh, from back in the day, you know, he was born in 1926 uh, and died in 1982 at the age of only 55. But he was a, a huge star back in the day. You know, he was like, num- at the time, the, the number four top comedian in America and he he'd been on shows like um the Munsters, I Dream of Genie, the Beverly Hillbillies, uh Bewitched, he'd been in Hollywood, uh I mean Broadway, um sorry like doing like Bye Bye Birdie and he was the voice of um several villains in like f- for Hanna Barbera, so Hanna Barbera. So he was the hooded claw, Sylvester sneakily, in the perils of Penelope Pipstock. He was Claude Pertwee in Where's Huddles, as well. Um. Yeah, so, you know, this this big star and being, like, in the closet, it was, the, the, so the documentary kind of looks at how that affected him and we hear from a lot of people who knew him out and some other experts who, um talk about you know laughter villainy you know those sort of things um you know and another big thing that lind was he he for, for many years he was in um hollywood squares and he was so adored by the public he was the um the center square he was the permanent center square so that's how you know how big he was um so you know some of the experts in the film were uh, naomi murphy 
Mark Mikhail, Sophie Scott, Jens Klafasadud, Christian, Jean Ellie, and Paul Wells. It was interesting when we came to them. They were kind of um, visualized in a Hollywood Square type uh, setting, which was, you know, I, I, I think a clever way of um, having them. So the film it starts off um, like you have a pizza place and inside there's a guy saying these lines and then we go to a theater and there's a man kind of backstage saying lines and then we see a woman saying lines then we pan to los angeles and first of all we're kind of outside a 99 cent shop and then all of a sudden we um kind of see a cartoon um like setting superimposed over you know the real world and this introduces us to Clovis who who's the anti-hero and also so Clovis kind of he the different moments from Lynn's life so it shows kind of different incidents in which um, Lynn kind of got in trouble with the law and situations like that which was a very interesting way of kind of letting us know about this side of Lynn's life uh and that's the thing it the, the you know the documentary uses a lot of clever kind of framing devices to help tell the story like one thing at the beginning which uh yeah i forgot was so we we see a car and it's a it's a thunderbird it's um a yellow a lime thunderbird and, and actually the uh the plate on the back says p lind and so the car radio is playing kind of an old interview that lind did which was a, a very interesting way of getting that across like other things like there's a record record player is used as the same kind of device and um a radio and a tv as well throughout the kind of documentary and that's an it's, it's a good way of using this archival footage and getting that across to us without you know just having a blank screen and that footage playing so it was a kind of interesting way of doing it and and that's a thing so you know using the celebrities the hollywood squares is another interesting way of 
bringing across these experts to um, help kind of break down um, some of the behavioral patterns and, and other things that were happening in Lynn's life. Like, for instance, John Erlin is an associate lecturer at Burbank University in London and he co-teaches a course on gender and sexuality in cinema. Shens Kledegerd Christianston is an academic at Aphorus University in Denmark and he researches the heroes and villains in popular culture. Dr. Mark Mikal is an emeritus professor of history at the University of Illinois. His research investigates male hysteria, gender and masculine and masculinity. Dr. Naomi Murphy is a clinical and forensic psychologist at HMP Whitmore. Um and her work focuses on male personality disorder. Dr. Sophie Scott is a professor of cognitive neuro neuroscience at University College London. And her research investigates laughter, speech and voice. And Professor Paul Wells is a director of the Animation Academy at Loughborough University in England. He is an animation scholar, writer and broadcaster. So as you see, they all have a, a, a background and an expert knowledge in, in certain kind of areas that throughout the documentary are called upon to kind of answer questions and give insights and then we have like people from his past like um one of his classmates from when he was in in school she talks with her daughter about um being around paul knowing paul from back then and you know, what kind of stood out to her, uh, and that kind of thing, so it's kind of, so it's all, like, these interesting insights to who Paul Lind was, behind the facade that he was giving to everyone, um, on shows like Bewitched, but more so on things like Hollywood Squares, you know, where you saw his quick wit and kind of scathing humour. But it still wasn't, you know, the real Paul Lind. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of exploring who he is. Like, how his sexuality kind of played into, you know, his behaviour and how it was back then, you know, being in the closet, not everyone, like, fully knowing. Like, um, you know, one of the things he said was that 
when asked all the time, you know, why um, was he single? It's like his uh, school sweetheart broke his heart and he wasn't ready to give another woman an opportunity. So there was all these kind of barriers that he had put up. So it's kind of, in yeah, it's definitely interesting having this insight into his life. And I think um, Squires does a good job of, of telling the story and then using these different kind of mediums to help, you know, the viewer understand and get that true insight into who he was. So I would definitely say, look, if you were a fan of Hanna-Barbera films, if you kind of watch programs like Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, The Monsters, Beverly Hillbillies, The Paul Lynn Show, he, he, he was the voice of the rat in Charlotte's Web. You know, if you enjoyed these shows, if you kind of remember him or, or or just interested, this is a good way to kind of find out really what was behind the curtain. Um, so, yeah, this was Doozy um, and it was by um, Richard Squires. Okay, so I'm here with Richard Squires, um, the director of Doozy. Hello, Richard. Thank you for Hello. your time. I appreciate um, getting no down problem. to talk to you. So, Doozy, tell me about how this all came about. Okay, so Doozy is a um, animated documentary, a creative animated documentary, which takes as its starting point the voice casting of um, an American actor closeted gay actor in the 1960s called Paul Lind, who some people will know over here from things like Bewitched um, and I Dream of Genie. He did kind of bit parts. Mm. And the film takes as its starting point Lind's casting as um, a series of Hanna-Barbera cartoon villains in the late 60s and early 70s. So people like the Hooded Claw, Mildew Wolf, and uh, another one called Claude Pertwee. And it takes this as the kind of starting point and then expands, expands out, if you like, and looks at ideas around uh, hysterical male laughter and uh, using the voice to signify otherness, I guess. Mm, okay. So what was it that made you want to tell this story? Well, I, uh, as a kid, was glued to the TV Saturday morning, <laughs> you know, as, a lot of, as I imagine a lot of kids were in the 1970s. So, um, and I hated the goodies. I wasn't interested in the goodies. I just was really, really on the side of the baddies. And these Hanna-Barbera baddies were always, you know, these kind of very live, um, you know, acerbic villains yeah. with long noses. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the kind of thing. So I had that, you know, in my head. Um, from a from being a kid and about four or five years ago I discovered for some reason I kind of came across Paul Lind in an interview I think and I discovered that this was the guy who voiced all of these um, Hanna-Barbera villains and got interested in in why that was really mm. and uh, you know understanding a bit of the kind of um, 
you know, historical aspect of Hollywood casting queer or sexually ambiguous actors as villains. Um, you know, it was really that which kind of started me thinking about basically kind of looking into why Hanna-Barbera Hanna might have cast Lynn as these, as these three villains. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Like, um, how long did it all take? To, like... It's taken four years. It's taken four years. I mean, I'm really an artist filmmaker, so uh, I had, I, you know, been kind of getting funding where I can. The film involves, the film uses uh, aspects of kind of documentary portraiture. Mm -hmm. It also uses a cartoon villain um, who I designed called Clovis, who you can see here, I know. Right, who does give, he has got that kind of Hanna-Bera feel to him. He's, he's, he's an original uh, character, but he kind of references that uh, 1970s limited animation look, I guess. Mm. So he, the, the film mixes animation of him kind of on a quest to, to find out more about Paul Lind, um, documentary materials and interviews with a number of academics who speak about um, quite a wide range of subjects, starting with kind of animation, um, thinking about ideas around kind of hysterical masculinity, criminality, villains, and laughter. You know, the, the kind of hysterical laughter of the cartoon villain, which yeah. we, all, we all kind of know so well. Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Ah, so was this a hard film to, um, like, pitch to people to get funding? It wasn't, it wasn't easy, but um, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't too bad. People are interested in the idea of, you know, villainy, I guess. Um, and we had money originally from the Wellcome Trust. It was a Wellcome uh, funded application. Okay. So the Wellcome were interested in the, you know, the kind of scientific aspect of it. I worked with a fantastic uh, scientist, a neurologist, Dr. Sophie Scott, who um, is a kind of expert in voice and in laughter. Mm -hmm. So we had a, a really kind of wonderful, um, you know, series of meetings, and she helped to kind of formulate ideas I guess for the film and then we also had funding from Arts Council England got a, a, a large grant from Arts Council England and various other you know bits and pieces so it's a, been a matter of kind of you know getting what I can where I can basically yeah. um, okay ah. like when people watch it what what are you hoping they kind of take away from this well the film is is really part documentary portrait uh, part um, essay film I suppose in a way so it deals with it, it uses Paul Lind as a case study really and I hope that people, it gets people thinking about um, you know the, the, the Hollywood practice of casting uh, you know queer or sexually ambiguous actors as villains as a starting point but also you know asks people to think about how I suppose um, you know various different types of moving image practice have used voice as something which can indicate that you know someone is other I suppose yeah it goes all it goes to various other different places it also thinks about you know the relationship between the character and the actor very much and you know Lind was quite a troubled quite a troubled actor he was you know working in a very kind of homophobic 1960s Hollywood you know as you mm. could imagine so um, 
you know, he was in quite a compromised position um, and I think really suffered because of that. So the film also visits Ohio, uh, Mount Vernon, Ohio, which is where he was born. And we talked to a lot of um, the people in Mount Vernon, Ohio. It's quite a small town in Ohio. We talked to some people who uh, actually went to school with Paul Lynn. So it's really a kind of, um, as I say, a kind of documentary portrait to some extent, but very much centered on uh, why these, why he voiced these cartoon villains. Yeah, yeah. Ah, no, that's really interesting. So, um, have you got like distribution? We haven't got anything yet. Uh, I mean, it's, this is the uh, world premiere for the film, so it's literally the film was finished. I can tell you about uh, three weeks ago. So <laughs> we we were really up against it in terms of time. I mean, I was literally delivering the DCP to the BFI last week. So it's it's really it's really kind of fresh off uh, fresh off the um, off the decks basically. We're putting it in for lots of other festivals, so you know we're hoping from there to kind of look for distribution and you know get it get it out there as it were. Okay, fantastic. Well, I hope that goes well, and Thank um, you. yeah, like, a lot of people can see this. Yeah. Like, do you know what your next project might be? Uh, I've got some ideas, um, but to be honest with you, this project has taken up my life for the last <laughs> you know three years completely. <laughs> It's a, you know, it's very much an independent project. It's an, it's really a, it's an artist filmmaker project. I mean, we've been working with some great people. My uh, co-producer, American co-producer Madeline Molineux, who's who's been co-producing the film. Abigail Addison, who's also been associate producer on the film. And we've had some really interesting people, uh, you know, work on the project. Clo mm. Clovis, the main cartoon villain, is voiced by. Um, Canadian actor who I don't think we know so well over here but is very well known in Canada and the States uh, Mark McKinney who very famous for a comedy series called Kids in the Hall um, oh yeah yeah yeah, do you know yeah, Kids yeah. In the from the um, early 90s yeah. wasn't it yeah yeah, 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 yeah yeah so Mark and I met completely by chance uh, on the set of um Superstore which is one of the shows that he's currently doing um, and you know I was talking about the film told him the story and this is like three years ago and mm. he was really interested and we had a he's, he's done some wonderful wonderful voice work for this for the main cartoon villain in the in the film oh, so, so uh, like will there be life for Clovis after this well that's a really good question I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm it, kind of people are already shame yeah like... no I agree I agree I mean people are already saying you know what about a sequel but it's early days yet so hmm. we'll, or, we'll or think about that or do you think maybe like some YouTube shorts or, or that's something a, that's like a possible, that that's possible as well absolutely yeah why not why not he could be on the uh, on the lookout for you know other kind of historical figures, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that, that could be very fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting, man. Oh, well, yeah. I, I wish you luck with um, you. everything going forwards. Really? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you right, very well, much. Thank you for your time, Richard. No worries. Thank you. So, um, a little film news as we get to the end of another another fun podcast. Alright, so, um, Disney's Mary Poppins Returns continues its successful reign at the top of the UK box office going into the new year. 
one of the final weekends before many of the schools go back sees the magical nanny continue to dazzle UK audiences and hold off competition as the film grossed 7.45 million at the weekend box office with a total of 23.25 million to date and approximately 40% overall market share after 10 days in cinema across the UK and Ireland. Lee Jury, head of Walt Disney Studios UK says, we are absolutely delighted UK cinema audiences are embracing Mary Poppins Returns, taking it to the top of the UK box office for a second weekend. As we head into New Year, the world's favourite nanny has well and truly flown back into cinemas and is once again thrilling audiences of all ages. Congratulations to director Rob Marshall and his phenomenal cast and filmmaking team on this magical film which continues to bring joy to cinema goers over the festive period. Also... Also, the Misatonic Institute of Horror Studios returns for their 2019 spring semester with a one-of-a-kind class on international horror remakesploitations discussed through the lens of the popular meme concept to explore what these films can tell us about process of cultural globalization international remake exploitation the horror meme from the turkish exorcist to dracula in pakistan takes place january the 10th at the horse hospital the misotonic institute is a celebrated organization with branches in the UK and the US that is committed to bringing academic level classes to the public that focus on the genre and themes surrounding horror while spotlighting some of the genre's world's most renowned critical, literal and filmmaking luminaries. Author Ian Robert Smith uses examples ranging from the Turkish exorcist-inspired Scythian to Pakistani director Kawaja Safariz's unique spin on Dracula, Zinda Laish, to examine the wide scope of cross-pollination and how the horror genre fluidly adapts and mutates as it travels around the globe. Uh, you'll be able to find more information on this in the bio for this episode. And on to other news. Okay, so Warner Brothers has picked up the Rat Pack Dune Library. Now, this was going to be um this it was all set for vine alternative investments to uh pick this up but warner brothers had a um 
a matching clause and so they decided to um come in and pick up the library which means they now own all the rights to um films such as gravity wonder woman paddington 2 batman v superman the man from uncle the lego movie creed godzilla american sniper tomb raider the conjuring 2 magic mike xxl ready player one edge of tomorrow mad max fury road it and dunkirk uh yeah there's some good films in there there's also some turkeys but hey ho um so bird box that's now out on netflix and um you know the review of that is in last week's episode 9 of echo chamber and netflix have announced that it's um you know their biggest 7 day viewership of all original movie releases um so yeah it came out on the 21st and they're saying that 45 million people have watched the film so far which which is a crazy you know what i mean that's crazy viewing numbers man so yeah out of all of their original films this looks like definitely their biggest one and you know there's been some okay films but i think this is one that you go yeah this this could have done very well if it had been in a cinema so um you know and it's something that competes with a lot of other films like i i think i kind of put it close to a quiet place that came out earlier in the year it you know it's not as quite as good but it is you know it's not far off though so um yeah this was um a pretty good outing for uh netflix um oh so some crazy ass shit now, Disney have got Jungle Cruise coming out, and there's been a couple of issues people have raised with the film. Like, firstly, um, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt's pay. So, they're saying the you know, Dwayne is going to be making 22 million and Blunt is going to be making 9 million. And the thing is, and this is a thing that every, like, every actor and just anyone, you know, around, you know, films and stuff kind of know. You, the money that you make is for what you bring to a film so having the rock having Dwayne Johnson attached to a film 
that brings a big viewership. A lot of people will come just because they're fans of Dwayne. Emily Blunt is a great actress, but she can't carry a film on her own. Like, her name on a film doesn't, you know, it doesn't do the same as The Rock. Which, you know, it's a shame because, you know, she has been in some great films. She's a great actress. You can just look at what she did in A Quiet Place. She was fantastic in that film. And, you know, Mary Poppins is, is killing it. So she's got talent. You know, that's not the question. But, unfortunately, she doesn't carry a film like The Rock. So that's how the pay is sorted out. But, you know, let's let's not miss around, though. Nine million, that's a huge chunk of money. So that's nothing to scoff at. And when you think about the amount of films that she she has made recently, if she's bringing home, say, nine million for everyone, like, she's laughing. So I think that's a ridiculous argument to make, to say, oh, they should both be making 22 million. It doesn't work like that. It, it never has worked like that. doesn't work like that in, in work. You can't go to work... And just be average. And be average. And your colleague who's doing exactly the same role. Is exceptional. Is great. They're bringing in crazy numbers. So they get a pay rise. You can't then go. Hey I should be making the same as him. Or her. Doesn't work like that. Because you aren't performing on the same level. So no. You're not going to get paid as well as your colleague. So there's that. Which is just it's, it's stupid, it's irritating And it's just these stupid fools Trying to pick at everything Then there's also an issue Around um, Jack Whitehall's character Who's um, in the film And who's gay Now People uh, are going crazy about it because there's a clip I think in the advert and he he says um you know people are like oh why aren't you um you know why aren't you married and he's just like oh um I'm just not into girls and, and people are saying that you know d- 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 he he should Disney should be making more of a thing about the gay character, which is baffling, because, right, so if you've got a gay character in a film or TV, that you have to make all singing and dancing and bells around the fact, it, you know, it doesn't define who someone is, so just making a quick little reference to it, that should be fine, that should be the way it is, it shouldn't be like, hi, I'm Steve, by the way, I'm gay, yes, I'm gay, very gay, full, fat, gay, 
You know what I mean? I'm not semi-skin gay. <laughs> no, I'm full fat gay. Why would you do that? It is ridiculous. So it, it baffles me why people are making this song and dance trying to say that Disney is this this evil company because they are making something and and covering an issue how it should be. You know, these things shouldn't be the the theme of a film. You know what I mean? Someone's sexual orientation, someone's race, someone's gender. These aren't story points per se. Now, yes, they've been story points in some films, but that it, that makes sense to the story. But on a film that has nothing to do with that, why make a big deal out of it? It's ridiculous. And, you know, before I have an aneurysm... I believe that's it for another episode of Echoes for the Void. Um, yeah, if you have a chance to check out Doozy, I highly recommend it. And yeah, that's it. I'll uh, see you next week for another episode. Peace.